What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is a technical disaster episode of Blackballed. Sorry for the late start. What is it, 1028? Well, we in the Dean Blundell Podcast Network family um, like to start late, and we don't usually explain why, but we are having technical difficulties today. Um, my guest isn't even here. He was here, and then uh, the computer kicked him out. However, I have faith, not the kind of faith that pertains to our next guest, but I still have faith. Um, I watched Breaking Brethren, the documentary by Alex McIntosh, and I was kind of floored by it, to be honest with you. There was, I think, three or four families that um, were no longer in the Plymouth Brethren who were sharing their stories about what it's like. And uh, make no mistake, this is a cult. I had a world-renowned cult expert, Dr. Ganya Lalich, on, uh, I believe it was last week, and she uh, describes the Plymouth Brethren as the most dangerous Christian cult on the planet. And they have political connections in pretty much every Commonwealth country and a few other countries. They get sweetheart, sole source contracts. And so they are mixing it up with business and politics but they are rooted in a very isolating, almost like a confinement type cult where, uh, you know, they feel like they are the chosen people. Um, it has a long history of abuse and, uh, you know, money laundering and things like that and tax evasion. Uh, sometimes they lose their tax exempt status. Um, they lost it in the UK, for example, but then inexplicably they got it back. I think Canadians are having a hard time um, understanding the significance of this story for two main reasons. One reason is because the mainstream media won't touch it. There have been little stories where they mentioned the Plymouth Brethren sort of as an aside, but there hasn't been like you, you're not turning on, well, no one really turns on the national, but if you were going to watch the national, uh, there would not be a story about the Plymouth Brethren on the national. And we, uh, through not just the Klondike papers, but through my interview, it was a powerful interview uh, because of how brave and courageous she was with Cheryl Hope. Um, I've been interviewing Richard Marsh as well for the last, I guess, six weeks or so. And through those two people, this story has grown, um, be, I, would, I guess I would say behind the scenes because we haven't put uh, any of it out yet. But for Cheryl's podcast, for example, um, it, it quickly topped all my podcasts. It beat all of them. And she has inspired, I think we're up to like seven or eight people to come forward um, and, to, and to share their stories of abuse with the police uh, or with each other or whatever. And, and, and you know, like, but, but people are coming out. Um, some of the details are strikingly similar. And these details, uh, these are details that were not discussed in the podcast. These were details that were not discussed anywhere. And so there are some consistencies. And so what we are going to do is today, if we can get, if we can get Dennis to link up here, um, Dennis, th th I'll tell you quickly why his, uh, why his role in that documentary, why his story um, sort of stayed with me. If you watch the documentary, he was the he was the man who was basically just shunned from the church uh, for no no reason was given, um, and he was ostracized. He basically spent I don't know how many years uh, in his house where he could just like go to work, but he described it as like solitary confinement. Um, like it, it produced a like symptoms of PTSD, and there's one point in the documentary where he's trying to talk to his son. His son is still inside the Plymouth Brethren community. And 
It was the most heartbreaking thing I had ever seen because uh, there's a dad ostracized from the church that he was brought up in talking to his son who was born in this church. And you notice very quickly that the loyalties of the son are completely with the church. And, and that could be due to like fear, but the, the documentary gave us the idea that it was done through brainwashing. Basically they indoctrinate you at a young age to place, you know, uh, the church and its leaders above your own parents is basically the idea. And, you know, I related to that obviously because my, I think, I think his son was eight and my son is about to turn eight, I guess, you know, maybe it just reminded me of, of my own kid, but I did, I, I went through the creative visualization exercise of imagining what it would be like to be on the phone with my son who would be like, I cannot see you. I am not going to see you. I don't want to see you. And how it would take every ounce of like strength I had to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, and Dennis didn't do that. And I learned from Richard Marsh that a lot of the people who are excommunicated from the church are very frightened to go to the press or the police or, you know, or start talking amongst, you know, other people in town who aren't members of the church because the blowback inevitably falls on the family that they left behind. And so, like, how heartbreaking is that? You know, your, your flesh and blood is telling you basically uh, you've disrespected the church and I won't have that. So sorry, father, but I'm siding with the church. It, um, it, it must be one of the most terrible moments in, in, the, in that person's life. Um, yeah, his name is Dennis Ragg and Dennis hopefully will be <laughs> clicking back in any second. He was here a second ago and now he's gone. And we are, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be talking to a lot of ex-members of the Brethren over the next month or so. Um, we have one next week, uh, Carmen Drever. She is, I believe, the granddaughter of Symington, who was like the grand pooba of the Plymouth Brethren um, back in the day. And she's going to talk to us about like what it's like, like the politics that exist inside the church. She has original uh, documents that are confidential documents that were only dispersed inside the actual cult. So we're going to, we have access to those documents and we're going to talk about um, one specific document that it's about priestly visits and priestly visits is it's basically when elders from the church come to your house and lecture you basically for doing something not churchy enough, I guess. And the, the invasiveness of it is, is strange. That it, it reminds me a lot of Scientology when they get audited. It's basically the same thing. Uh, you know, you you come to a person's house, you start asking questions, and you basically interrogate them and lecture them. And people who are on the shit list get these priestly visits a lot. And then if you're known for receiving a lot of priestly visits, then the gossip starts and people start like shunning you. It is a very unhealthy way to live. And there is a, a side of me that, that uh, wants to take a page out of Cheryl Hope's book. And when she was on, I was completely floored at the idea that she um, views her alleged abuser as sick, um, as in like, you know, unwell, not, not just like evil, but, you know, sick and the church itself she doesn't want to see gone she just wants to see reform and at the time i think i said after she had left because i didn't really want to I, i'm not going to challenge her on that that's her that's her opinion she's obviously more than entitled to it and her opinion means more than mine does on this however i was more of the variety of i would support capital punishment for pedophiles and let's burn that shit to the, to the ground um, probably not a helpful thing to do if you're an, an actual ex-member. Um, and this is why this church is really kind of tricky. Uh, when Dr. Lalich was on, again, she's the world's, she's recognized as the world's most renowned um, expert on cults. If, if some of you viewers recall, we were going to have her on one night, but she's uh, walking her dog and was attacked by a wild turkey. Um, and 
I wasn't mad at all because how can you get mad at someone for getting attacked by a wild turkey? But her opinion on on this church is um, is that they're the most dangerous church on the planet. But also the manipulation and the post uh, community relationship between the ostracized and the church itself is insane. It has. Um, it has a it has it has a dimension of Scientology. It also has um, you know a little sprinkle of Mormonism, um, and then a ton of Dominionism. And for those who might not recall what Dominionism is, it's sort of like a a, a radical offshoot of evangelical evangelicalism, and it's basically corporatizing your spiritual beliefs. And then deflecting any and all responsibility when it comes to things like the environment to God, because they believe that their companies, their chemical companies and oil companies and whatever else, that God will protect the environment from their companies because they're dominionist, basically how it works. Um, in other words, completely batshit stuff. And there is, uh, there is a conventional wisdom now that, um, that maybe these organizations need to have their uh, their charitable status revoked, um, especially when they start blurring the lines between inflows of the church, which, by the way, uh, from what I am told, it, it is a regular occurrence that none of that money that the regular families then kick up to leadership in Australia is really accounted. There is a... Um, it's like hiding their corruption in plain sight. Um, it, it, and it's and it's just as obvious as televangelism. It, you know, like Benny Hinn is clearly a charlatan. Um, you know, and, and, he, and I knew a guy whose mom sent him like 50 grand a month. You know, uh, tying together, you know, uh, capitalism or whatever with, with spirituality is strange. Um, there is a growing movement in Canada among ex-Brethren members um, to expose this organization now. And these are some of the relationships that Richard and I and Cheryl have forged since the Cheryl interview. And what we're attempting to do is, uh, is two or three things. One of the, th the first thing that we're trying to do is we are going to organize a, an actual protest where Cheryl is from in Maple Creek, Saskatchewan, um, in front of the church. I am I am going. Um, there's a couple other people that are considering going. We'll, we'll wait and see what happens, but I want, I'm going to broadcast from there. And, you know, the cool thing about it is, is that it doesn't matter if five people show up or 150 people show up because the reason why the people are there, um, and we've been breaking story after story on the Dean Blondell site and Press Progress has broken a couple stories. Um, you know, they're mentioned in stories that are otherwise about different issues, but little by little, it is trickling out. Now, why is that important? It's important because, um, and I think I discussed this the other day, I think with Ryan Lindley, that there is no brand attached to the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. There is, there is nothing to easily um, teach people about who they are and what they do and why it is significant and why it is damaging and why it is abusive and all those things. So we, we have a team that we put together. We have a couple lawyers. We have myself, Richard, Cheryl, and a couple other people sort of behind the scenes. And we are going to put our heads together. And what we are trying to do is sort of build a foundation for not just ex-members of the brethren, but for any people who were in a situation where they were basically in a cult, held captive. I, th I look at it as uh, forcible confinement, um, you know, I, whether they were born in it or not. Uh, they live in that gray area where the only thing that seems to protect them from being scrutinized is their belief in an omnipotent being. And, you know, uh, and by the way, guys, at this point, I, I'm not sure if my guest is coming back. So I, I may be wrapping up early today. And that's life. Um, but the if we if we start this organization and and there's a couple pretty high profile people that are considering being a part of it and we encourage 
people who are abused by elders within the brethren to come forward to do what Cheryl did, maybe to to, to talk to the police, uh, to to file a police report. Um, again, not to sound like a broken record, because those of you who watch the show will remember me saying these things, but uh, we wanted to do Cheryl's story, which um, to a lot of people on paper, especially, it kind of looks like a Me Too story. And I would say it is. Um, except we didn't want to, we discussed a lot with Cheryl before she did the show. And one of them was, we were throwing around ideas and one of them was, do you want to remain anonymous? And it was someone else that asked that actually. And, and before she could answer, I said, I won't do it. The podcast, if you're anonymous, and that isn't a slight on you at all. It's just that in order for a me too story, in my opinion, to be done most effectively, you would need, Oh, you know what? He's calling through. Should we put him on speaker? <laughs> hey, Dennis, you can't seem to get your phone hooked up. Hello, James. Yeah, we're on air, buddy. <laughs> we are? Well, I am. Are you? Is your phone malfunctioning? No, my phone is fine, but all I can see is myself. I can't hear anything from you. I can't. I don't see you I... in there. You don't see me? No. So refresh your page and try to get in again? And if you can't get in, I, I, I will reschedule, okay? So if it doesn't work in the next five minutes, we'll reschedule. Sure. Okay. Okay, I'm going to shut this down and uh, try again. Okay, thank you. He's a great guy, um, but technology is, is not a specialty. <laughs> but he's trying his best, folks. Um, anyways, back to what I was saying. So the organization would be helping uh, victims uh, who, who escape cults, basically. Um. Aside from that, uh, I think now might be a good a time as any to announce that um, I have secured a second publishing deal with my publisher to write about the Plymouth Brethren, and I will be doing that uh, starting next month. And without further ado, are you there, Dennis? Yes, I am. Okay. Don't touch anything. Stop touching stuff. You're good. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you, man. Like that was the tumultuous, you know, I didn't lose my temper at all, which is strange for me. Well, so, congratulations. Thank you very much. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, so I, I sort of went over, um, uh, who you were and where, you know, and, and your story and most of us, uh, that know of you know your story from breaking brethren, uh, not only a great documentary, but one of the best names for a documentary I think I've ever heard in my life. Like that is just, it explains everything. Cause it must feel like you're high <laughs> when you're, when you're in, like in hindsight, I mean, when, when you remember the things that you had to do all the time. Um, and I, I just want to like, I, I have some stuff written down. I normally don't write things down, but I wanted to make sure that I, I got things right. Um, what is shutting up and how can a phrase that is seen in normal society as rude and like, you know, bossy and all that kind of stuff is like a term for a process that uh, people who are being disciplined have to go through at the behest of elders. Is that right? That, that's correct. Uh, it, it's not uh, shut up like uh, you tell me to shut up or, you know, like you say, it's rude. No, it's more just um, they decide that you should be confined, might be a better way to describe it, which means you have no contact with anybody. It's solitary confinement. Right. And when you, okay, so just to give a little background, because I just watched it, so it's pretty fresh in my head. Um, you were the, you were in the church with your family and at one point, and you don't know the reason, I think still to this day, you were slowly being kind of pushed aside. You, you said that you noticed it when they noticed you not laughing that hard at their jokes. That's right. That uh, sounds like mafia. <laughs> like if you don't laugh at uncle Vinny's jokes, you know, you might not make it home. Right. Like, <laughs> All right. Yes. Um, to give a little of the background, uh, I was born and brought up in the group. And uh, at one time I was, I, I, I don't want to over overstate it, but um, 
I, I think Cheryl Hope that uh, described it as being the totem pole. Uh, you can be at the top or the bottom of the pole. I was I was rising up. I certainly wasn't at the top, but I was um, prominent enough in the group that they they have uh, an annual uh, leaders meeting. Uh, in my day, it was in England, and um, there'd be somebody from every meeting would go to this mm-hmm. annual meeting, and it was considered a huge honor to be invited. And I went for many 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 years i went to this leaders meeting so i was a bit of a rising star and overstate that i but i was i was higher on the totem pole than halfway um one of the things that i i, I learned from that documentary is um and it's it's similar to scientology where money sort of buys you access to the next levels is that basically accurate Yes. What is it about growing up in that organization that makes you not question anything when it comes to giving away your savings? I would describe it as being like growing up in uh, North Korea. You, you don't know what the rest of the world, you, you may be walking through it, but you don't, um, you don't have any contact. So you don't, you don't really understand. Plus there's a tremendous amount of pride that uh, as a group, um, we felt we were God's very special chosen people. Did anyone from the Jew, the uh, the Jewish faith, like sue you for uh, plagiarism? <laughs> <laughs> no, they didn't. No, I I find um, okay. You know what I want to do first, and and then because I kind of want to do it like an overarching. I, I want to ask a lot of questions about being a member of that community and everything, but sure. because um um. I, I told the audience when you were figuring out your tech that, you know, one of the main parts of the documentary that really struck a chord with me, and I think I said this to you off air, was when you were being ostracized at the near the beginning or whatever, and your family were still entrenched in the church. And the documentary played a, uh, had a clip of you on the phone with your son, who I believe was, was he eight at the time? About that, yes. Um, and the exchange that you two had was heartbreaking. Um, and the exchange was um, you telling him that you wanted to see him and, and him based very sternly putting his foot down and saying, no, I don't want to see you. I'm paraphrasing, I think, but, and it was like that. And you got off, like you had saved the message. And I, th- I find that really interesting. It's like a memento of the dark times or something like you, you saved it. Um, what did that feel like at the time, at the moment? I know it ends well, but I, I, I just, I want you to unpack for me, like what you're going through emotionally, because as a father of an eight-year-old son right now, I, um, my first reaction was if my son ever did that, I would just drive there and just grab him by the ear and drag him home. But I do that in the brethren for various reasons, uh, especially whoever has your surname that's left behind is probably going to get punished for your actions, right? Correct. So when that happened and your son is saying those things to you on the phone, like, you know, what's going through your mind? Because you're balancing emotion with strategy at that point, aren't you? Very much so. Um, what, what had happened, uh, I have two younger boys. They, they uh, had no one else to play with. So they, they had a lot of fun together. And uh, um, at, one, at, at one point, um, Neil was... Uh, it was forbidden for Eric to go and see his mother and his brother. And I'd always promised Eric that when that uh, came about, that I would then go to court and uh, fight for him to have the right to see his siblings and for Neil to come to our house. And uh, there was a very vicious court case in which Neil was ordered uh, to be brought to my house every second week kind of a thing. And that that's a background for that phone call. Um, I was phoning up to make arrangements for him to come that day. Um, but uh, it, it never happened. What were the visits like? Like, was he still maintaining that loyalty to the church? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and my uh, his older brother would come, would bring him, and um, more or less police's actions 
and uh, be very stern that Neil could not eat with Eric or like his other brother and myself. He couldn't eat with us when he came to visit. And uh, my older son was there to enforce the rules. Wow. Like the, I, when I had uh, Dr. Lalich on and I was trying to get from her, what, what, what is the sort of invisible power that these organizations have? One key one that you're, that the, that the brethren has is that you don't get tapped to be in the brethren. You're born into it. Correct. That is like a cult on steroids as far as being able to indoctrinate, isn't it? Yes, it is. It, it, it's a very vicious cult. And I've, because I was higher in the totem pole, um, I've got many, many stories uh, where I was involved with doing terrible things to other people. But it's just part of the culture. You're, you're, you're brought up in it, and that's what you're, you think is normal. I think it would be helpful um, and, uh, you know, part of our mission to sort of like spotlight this organization, if you would be willing to tell us what one or two of those horrible things were. I don't, I don't mind. I, I would okay. like to enlighten people that yeah. the rank and file of the brother uh, don't know some of the evil that goes on at the top. Okay, let's do it. Go ahead. Well, I'll, I'll give you one, one story that is uh, still haunts me to this day. Uh, there was a young uh, fellow out west, western Canada, and uh, involved in a car accident where his wife was killed. Um, he had married an Australian girl uh, in the group, and um, while he was struggling with his grief and trying to get his feet back in the ground after the accident, um, the grandparents from Australia came and took his two young children to Australia to care for them temporarily. Um, while the two boys were in Australia, the grandparents were kicked out of the meeting and um, um, he, um, the young man remarried a girl in Canada and uh, he asked for his he went to Australia to get his boys back. And the brethren virtually kidnapped the boys because now the grandparents were out of the group. Um, somebody else was had the boys. He uh, got a court order in Canada that he should have custody of the boys, but the brethren in Australia would not honor the <clears throat> Canadian judgment. So he had to then start proceedings legally in Australia where the group did all they could to frustrate his efforts to get his boys returned. And um, I got a phone call from Sydney, Australia, asking me to do surveillance on this young man in Canada and uh, his new in-laws and um, I spent quite a bit of time doing the surveillance on him. And uh, I reported back to Sydney, Australia, and then they <clears throat> asked me to do something that was illegal and I refused to do it. So- What did they I ask you to do? Uh, they, they asked me to um, get credit reports on him. I was in the financial business, so I, I it was possible to do that, but you cannot get, uh, um, financial information about a person without their consent. Mm -hmm. Of course, <clears throat> this I I didn't have the consent, so I wasn't going to break the law and get without. And and so you refused to do that. Yes, I refused to do it. Is that when things started to get a little bit uncomfortable? And how long before um, you were turfed uh, did, did that well, situation that happen? I, I was still, you know, uh, I, I was still held in honor at that point. But I, I would think things started declining after that. I, I felt so badly about what I had done to this young man um, because they, they just ran him bankrupt virtually, uh, which is the way they win court cases. 
Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. How did how does the brethren in Australia have any authority to refuse a court order? And why would it even go to them and not to why wouldn't the Canadians start originally with the Australian government? Hey, this organization has kidnapped two boys. Can you get on this? Well, James, that's a that'd be a huge process to try and get the Canadian government involved in, in anything. A, what what's considered a family dispute is the way the brethren would describe it. And, uh, did they have permission to take the? Did the grandparents have permission to take the kids to begin with? I, I don't know the details, but yes, I'm okay. sure they did. I mean, the 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 young man in Canada was, um, I, I would think he was at his wits' end, caring yeah. for two rambunctious boys, having lost his wife. It, it'd be pretty tough. Like if that story happened today, and the Plymouth Brethren was like Chuck E. Cheese. Like Chuck E. Cheese, like a kid's restaurant chain, you know? Oh, it, it, yes. Yeah. It's, it, it, I don't imagine that um, the Canadian government would send something to Chuck E. Cheese headquarters in Australia and just be like, you know, can you give us the boys? Like, it would be a story, and the story would be as follows. Grandparents take parents' kids to Australia. Um, radical <clears throat> cult takes boys. Um, Australian government not doing anything to get the boys back. It, it, it's so open and shut. Um. Listen, I, 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 if you have religious beliefs still, I salute that I don't find any of that like, uh, um, you know, important or offensive or anything. But I'm just wondering what it is about, and I'm, I'm going to trail off a little for a second. And why is it the the trump card that you get when you want to do things that are completely unfair, or if you want to be tax exempt, is believing in an omnipotent being? The one thing that you can never prove is real is the one thing that you need in order to get protected. And when I uh, hear about stories like that, I, I, my mind uh, starts to speculate about political connections um, with, with, the breth- with the brethren. We have been talking really like preliminary stuff here in Canada. But as someone who was involved with the, with the church, you know that that is their MO, isn't it? Wherever they go what they try to do is like is get the business wing of the organization profitable and then secure government contracts by lobbying and, and, you know, pressing and, and forging relationships with government officials. Is that basically it? Uh, that, that's, <clears throat> that, that's, that's true. And uh, um, I, I'm still very much a believer and I believe uh, in, uh, in God but I also believe there's a devil out there. And I, I think the rank and file of the brethren, ordinary people, they don't know what goes on at the top, but I mm. say it's controlled by the devil. Like the actual devil. The actual devil. Yes. I yeah. That's, that's Hales, right? Yes. I, I will. Well, I'm not, I'm not putting a name to it. I think it's systematic error. And uh, I, I think the rank and file would, I, I will be a vilified for giving this interview with you. Oh, but, uh, great! I would, no, you I, you I, didn't I, have to be a member of the church to get vilified for doing an interview with me. So you're you're in good company. <laughs> All right, um, but uh, my my whole point is to hopefully one or two will see this podcast and we'll just start to question. I've got yeah. tons of written documentation um, that and uh, uh, tape recordings. They will show that it's it's totally evil and really you don't have to be a spiritual person to to follow it it's just plain corrupt yeah i sometimes i wonder if me not being a believer um 
makes me more likely to criticize this group because I, I have never thought once, what if I offend their their belief in Jesus? Like I have never even had that thought before because um, I don't think that what this organization is represents anything what Jesus represented, right? No, it's so, not. So it's difficult for me to like even care that it's a religion, <laughs> I, I don't, right. you know? Um, but okay. You know what? I, I want to give the floor to you then, because um, it sounds like you, you, I think that's a great uh, sort of mission. You know, if, if this podcast lands on the ears of anybody who's still in, maybe they'll think twice and maybe they'll want to try to find a way out. But what kind of things, what, what, what would you say to them? Like what, what, what kind of things would you reveal to them that, because they're so insular that they have no idea is true. That would probably blow their mind. Like, is there a bunch of little examples like that? Well, well, num number one, I, I would like to emphasize how, what an abundant life I have today since getting out. Um, but I'm also party to, for example, you've talked about uh, the lawyer called Chapur. Yeah. Uh, I believe he's in Calgary. I'm in Toronto, but um I was helping a, a young man who lost all his children. Um, mm. And uh, I guess, I, I don't know what the, what happened, but somehow documentations from his office um, came from Calgary down East. I call it, there's a whistleblower in his office, saw the terrible things that uh, the brethren were scheming and yep. they just, sent these papers now i'm sure there's a gag order but i received these papers within half an hour of them being sent from calgary down east are you so talking about I the klondike papers no, no no these are just internal memos and uh oh, okay um, recordings of meetings that yeah. uh Chapur had referencing i was talking with sydney today and by sydney means mm. talking to australia yeah, um, the rank and file of the brethren don't know some of the evil things that are being done in the name of Christianity, and I'm very free to say it's not Christianity at all. Hmm. Yeah, the, it, I mean, you know, it, it's definitely not a wholesome sect of Christianity. That's for sure. Um, What's not? Yeah, but the the hierarchies, the hierarchy, and the way that they um, sort of siphon money from the flock is is very Scientology, um, and I and I feel like Scientology must have gotten it from Plymouth Brethren because Plymouth Brethren predates Scientology, right? Um, yes. And it, and it, and I think the wasn't the uh, and Britain was like a very um, it's always been a place where a lot of brethren are, right? Um, right. And so there were people at the time <laughs> when L. Ron Hubbard was writing. Um, Dianetics. He was living in in England, you know. So there was like there there were actually proximity wise, um, two of the craziest cults <laughs> in the country were like literally were like I think it was like twelve blocks apart at one point for like three years. Um, what is the way you think that they can fall? Uh, I was talking again to uh, to a couple people on another podcast about how um, Western civilization uh, and their I think an overextension, uh, over accommodation to uh, freedom of religion. Um, and what I mean by that is religion is used as a shield from scrutiny more than it's used as a dove of peace or whatever the fuck. Um, and it seems to me that there, that it, it, like there needs to be a law in the books about this type of confinement. Like we know emotional abuse exists, right? And uh, you know, and mental abuse. I don't understand why indoctrination and confinement and all that kind of stuff there. Why isn't there no law in the books? That's like specifically kind of covers cult like manipulation. Um, and so I'm thinking that the business side of the church um, is the thing that's maybe is used as the mechanism to sort of bring them down. Like in the UK, when they got in a scandal and they had their tax exempt status taken away and then inexplicably given back to them three years later, um, they always win. Mm -hmm. Well, why is that? The, the fact is uh, the rank and file people are told that they always win. 
in actual fact, I, since I've been out, I've found out that there's many, many court cases that they've lost. Mm. And the only ones they win are where um, they use what's called a slap, slap yep. lawsuit, if you're familiar with that term. Well, they can't do that here anymore. We have good legislation here now to block that kind of stuff. Yeah, we do, but it's it's like any law. There's loopholes, hmm. and uh, it's, it it's basically where they just use enormous amounts of money to uh, bankrupt the other side. Yeah, and uh, um, to get back to your thing about Scientology, there was um, one of the former leaders that. Uh, I always respected highly, and he had a lot of sayings that I've remembered. And uh, one they used to talk about was the devil only has so many tricks in his tool bag. Mm. And I see the same thing being happening in all these different cults. It's pretty much all the same, whether it's the Latter-day, uh, you know, the, the Warren Jeffs. Uh, yeah the West or Scientology or the uh, exclusive brethren, they're all the same. Like it's, you know, when, when you talk about religion, I think of the devil. And that's why I say, I think the devil only has a few tricks in his toolbox. And this is. Well, he was really busy being president of the United States for four years. So. <laughs> okay. That's, that's politics. That's yeah. another subject. Yeah. 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 Well, if the devil's going to reside anywhere, it's probably in politics. That's that's what I would say, right? Oh yeah, no, I I, I agree with you. Although um, I tend to be probably more right wing than you are. Oh, it's, it's, it's in my DNA. That, all right, but I don't want to ruin the interview by one of us saying something accidentally bigoted. So <laughs> we might as well leave that on the shelf. Yeah, we um, can we can uh, try and be friends. Yeah. Sure. I think for sure. I, listen, I, I'm, and by the way, I, and I've been, I say this almost to everyone that um, I know is a believer and who knows that I'm not a believer that um, I don't have a beef with anybody at all with, for their beliefs. Um, if we actually wanted to have a conversation to unpack the Bible, it might turn into a, you know, quite a spirited debate. Um, but it, you know, there, there are certain aspects in life where I'm envious of people who believe in God. Um, yeah. The easiest example I can think of is grieving. I can sure. think of a better um, mechanism to feel okay than the true belief that they're in a better place. Yes. Like if I could harness that to heal myself when I'm in mourning, you know, I, 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 I get that. It's almost worth the price of admission. It's just <laughs> that I wouldn't believe that all the things that I I'm supposed to believe. Right. So, but, but I, but I am envious. So, so, and then that's a maturity thing for me. Cause I was a militant atheist. Um, you know, I, I'm still pretty hardcore atheist, but like, but I, at least I, I can recognize that kind of stuff. So, um, and the reason why I'm even mentioning this is because I know that faith is a binding force in or outside of a group like this. Uh, and, Ironically, maybe faith is the type of common bond between ex-members and current members that can help them escape. That, that could be. Uh, people who have escaped are... If for, for every person who's escaped, there's a different reason. Um, but generally, people who have uh, escaped either of their own doings or been kicked out... Um, I would say 98% are very, very happy for what happened. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, going back to all these documents I have, if there's anybody in the group that well, wants to see the documentation I've got, they're free to contact me um, from anywhere. And I'm, I, I, I would do all I could to just share the facts. Not I would like to talk to you about that because I'm listen, we're a podcast uh, we're, we're growing like crazy, um, but we're not the biggest uh, medium in the world. I'm pretty sure that on a regular basis, I'm the only guy covering this stuff. Um, so yeah. you don't really have a choice, Dennis. You have to give those documents to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I would love to see them because th that's the interesting stuff. What I've been looking for, because I, uh, I, I don't know if you were uh, listening or not, but um, I've secured a book deal to write about the brethren. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and like a full scope book, you know, where we go to Australia, the UK, like 
we're and we're we're gonna basically talk about all of the scandals and all of the craziness in all of the countries that the brethren is represented. Uh, we are utilizing Richard's story and Cheryl's story, and I, you're on the list, the preliminary list of all the people that I need to interview in Canada. Um, so you don't really have, you have to give me those papers. I'll send someone over. <laughs> <laughs> Because the Gerald Shapur thing, uh, all kidding aside, is the connecting tissue between politics and that group. He, yeah. And because he's a good lawyer, he comes with a built-in firewall, where as soon as it goes from politics and passes through the membrane of Gerald Shapur, it's almost something that you could never look at again because of attorney-client privilege. Yeah. Right? So, um, yeah, he's he's the right guy to focus on. Um, uh, what kind of stuff does he say? Like, what is this? Is this the David Wallace stuff, or what, what is on these calls? No, no, no. This is uh, long, long before David Wallace was uh, in the picture, as far as I know. Okay. Um, no, th this would. Um, uh, I, I was surprised. I, I had a had a phone call a, a week or two ago from a, another reporter from uh, Press Progress or Progress yep. Press. Press progress. And, yep. uh, it, it, I, I, I kind of embarrassed myself in a way, but uh, she read me. I, I didn't know she was, she said, the brethren say thus and thus and thus and thus. We have no political uh, agenda. We have nothing to do with politics. And, you know, it, it was just, she said, what's your comment about that? And it just, just came out of my mouth. I said, that's just bullshit. And, <sighs> Dennis. Because it is so lying. It is so untrue. Mm -hmm. And uh, yet the rank and file don't, they, they have no um, um, access to what the truth is. And uh, they're, they're told that, uh, as I say, said before, you're inbred with how special you are. And they're not told what the truth is. And by truth, I just mean black and white. It's it's there. And I've got some of these documents. Uh, I, I, some of it would not stand up in court. It would be hearsay. Mm -hmm. But um, Oh, we're all about hearsay on this podcast. No, you? you know, okay. well, listen, you know what it, you know what it actually is? I don't consider, I, I don't, I don't, I feel like I don't have to play by the print journalism rules because okay. I'm interviewing you. Any second now you could like say something completely like unprovable and crazy. And I'm just like, wow, that's interesting. You know, when you <laughs> publish a, when you publish a story in a newspaper or on a site at like a recognized media outlet, you are endorsing the content within the article. It's like it basically comes the publication of uh, the publishing of the of the report is the endorsement. Whereas I'm like Barbara Walters, uh, you know, like if Barbara Walters interviews a tyrant from the from the Middle East or something. And he says that George Bush is the devil and he smells like sulfur. <laughs> it's not Barbara Walter that's, that's going to get in trouble. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because this medium, this the podcast medium is great for stories like that, where you're kind of like you're swimming in circumstantial evidence, right? You're, you're, you're covering he said, she said stuff. Um, but you're not, I'm not, not hamstrung by... Uh, and 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 it's not like a journalistic standard. No, no, I'm not hamstrung by the um the kind of ineptness, the laziness that the mainstream media seems to have these days. Both because their budgets are cut, and because is there even a person covering religious cults as a beat? Um, and then when they find out who the political connections are, lawyers start calling lawyers, and so the you know some some editor might have wanted to do something at CTV. And uh, and all of a sudden, the CTV lawyer calls them and says, yeah, you can't do this. And it turns out it's because that lawyer works at a firm who once went to college with Gerald Shapur. You know, it's yeah. that kind of thing. Or even just Gerald's reputation is enough to cause fear in people. So wait, wait, wait. I think if I'm reading between the lines, yeah. if anybody's going to get the, their butt in a ringer, it's going to be me, not you. Well, I don't know about that because uh, here, this is an interesting piece of information. After I started covering the Gerald Shapur stuff with Nathan Jacobson and David Wallace and, you know, the alleged threat and the alleged request for kidnapping and all that stuff, 
I found out like two days later that I live in Gerald Shapur's hometown and his entire family tree live like two miles that way. <laughs> so oh. they might just for convenience, they're not going to want to drive all the way down to Toronto to make their, to send a message. They'll probably just drive up the road and take care of me. So don't worry about it. I got your back, Dennis. It's going to be okay. Fun. All right. Well, I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell you an interesting one. Uh, yeah, the first time I, I heard the name Gerald Shapur, was uh, there was a previous website set up by uh, a fellow working out of a, a, a little place in the backwoods of Vermont. And it was a very, it, it started out as just being a, a website where people who used to be in the Brethren were able to contact their friends and family. And it, it was just a very nice little little group. And uh, it, it got very big and it started uh people started publishing um things that were not complimentary to the brethren and right. so the brethren uh hired um a very very prominent um uh, law firm in the states mm -hmm. their their head office was on pennsylvania avenue which is just down the street from the white house oh wow and these lawyers would go up to backwoods of Vermont and, uh, um, you know, try to chase down Tim. His name was Tim. And uh, anyway, Gerald Shapur was involved in that. Wow. And uh, uh, I spent some time with Tim at the, uh, in the backwoods of Vermont. And Tim told me stories. And I... I'll go out on the limb and, and just one of them, the brethren hired an investigator, a lady um, investigator from Texas to try and frustrate Tim. And uh, I don't, I'm, I'm not accusing Chapur and I want to make it plain. I don't know his extent of involvement, but my uh, lawyer just said, thank you. Big pardon. My lawyer just said thank you. Anytime you want to throw the word allegedly in front of all this, you're fine. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, they, the, the, uh, it, it was very similar to this fellow in Canada. The lady um, investigator got so upset with the, the nastiness of what the, she was being asked to do uh, that she, chain sides she developed cancer and she confessed it all to tim who was running the website and apparently she had been asked to do or to hire people to do the ultimate sleaziness against tim vote republican uh, <laughs> oh no, i think they're all democrats are you okay. talking about like uh taking care of him no, no, not oh. that bad. But the weaponizing Me Too accusations. That's no, I'll, I'll tell you what it was. Uh, okay. They 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 wanted her to go and seduce or find someone else that would seduce Tim, and uh, they could ex expose him for being a, a corrupt person because he. Yeah, he that's an old. That, that's the, the Russians perfected that. That's a a honeypot scheme. Yeah, the honeypot yeah. idea. Yeah. Now, um, I don't. I, I'm not accusing uh, Chapur of coming up with that idea, but somebody somewhere instructed this woman to do this. Yeah. She didn't do it, of course. And that's a fa that's a favorite of theirs, though. I, I've heard. Okay. Rumors tell me that that's a favorite of theirs. That tactic. Yeah. It, it, like, and this is the rank and file brethren. Um, they need to know this because that's where their money is going to in, in doing all these lawsuits. It's, it's wicked. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things too, where it's like, um, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but other than God um, and the hails, I guess the, the fabric of that community is family, right? Like you guys have, I mean, there's only a certain amount, a certain amount of families that exist in each community. And there's almost like a caste system. And, um, you know, I, I want, I, 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 and these people are destroying families, right? Like, like the, a, an accusation like that couldn't destroy a family. 
I'm wondering if like if the, if if brethren were ever informed about this stuff, and they felt like um, leadership was trying to damage the very fabric of the community by destroying families. I wonder if that the kind of thing that would work, or if they would just be like, "Our leader is good, and you're full of wickedness." Like I don't know, you know, what the answer would be. I I, I don't know. I I don't know. It. I, I'm sure there's many 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 in the group that their conscience is bothering them when they see. Uh, terrible things being done to other people in the group but the cost of leaving is is tremendous yeah the cost of leaving is 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 a bigger price than most people are willing to pay yeah um i think we're going to cut it there but i would love to have you back because um again we're just starting covering this uh we just you know we've been covering it for about five weeks I'm I'm just not going to stop. The, the, every time I get a new story, I'm I'm definitely going to put it up. Uh, I have no editor to answer to. I have a lawyer that makes sure that I'm not like burning down the building and, and pissing people off. But um, I want you to look at me as a person who um who will who will report on the things that uh that you're able to provide or someone else from the brethren. I'm that guy. Uh, I I didn't in, seek out this uh role but uh it just sort of happened because of the interview with cheryl hope so um i joke a bit but i just do that to keep you at ease and to let you know that not all atheists are horrible right? <laughs> i i never thought that good good no, no. um and you seem very charming before we go the last thing i just wanted to do is um we started telling the story about your son and how he was like refusing and he was siding with the church um bring us to the ending of that saga um, so people can walk away from this interview with with something nice. Well, when when, uh, when, when Neil was 12 years old, um, I'd actually been at church, and I came. I went out afterwards with friends, and I came home around uh, 11 o'clock at night, and uh, this kid jumped out of the bushes hmm. and scared the <laughs> crap out of me. Yeah. And uh, anyway. He was shell shocked. He he wanted to stay overnight, and then he wanted to stay another night, and another night, and another night. He's never gone back. Um, How old is he now? Had, he's now forty uh, something. Right. And he he had a tough time. Um, very very angry young man. Uh, angry at me. Very angry. He, he used to just tell me how much he hated me, but he still stuck with me and uh we are the best of friends now and i'm so proud of neil he's he's come through some huge struggles in life i i think i mentioned on the on the uh, documentary that uh, he had his leg amputated yes when he was on his 18th birthday um and uh he's he's been through some real struggles in his life but he's he's a Anybody would say he's a fine, fine man today. Good. And uh, um, listen, uh, you you come off as a man, um, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just make uh, I'm gonna speculate here, but you come off as a person where my gut is like you you you're humble. Um, I think you, you seem thankful, and 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 especially for where you are in life now versus back then. Um, when I watched the documentary uh, about that story. I got to tell you, buddy, like you, you're a good father. Oh, well, you, I, I mean that. And, and it's plain as day, like you fought to have your son back and you succeeded. That to me is heroic. Like it wasn't your fault that you were born into this organization. So, but the fact that you were born into it where you were kind of higher up. And then when you got shunned, you were able to like, uh, you know, have the patience to it probably required a ridiculous amount of patience and then saw it through and was able to secure your son back. That's dad of the year ship for me, you know? Well, thank you for saying that. I mean, I, 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 uh, I, I, I look at myself. I'm just an ordinary dad that loves my boys. Yeah. And I've got three kids that I love equally, but they'll have nothing to do with me. Well, listen, um, I, I don't know, but that's heartbreaking that, because they're missing out on, uh, on someone who clearly has love for his family. And um, I, yeah. Well, if, 
if they were if i don't like doing this because i i just thought of it now so if it comes off as like ridiculous and americanized then just let me know but if you did have a chance to speak with them, what would you say? Like, like, really? Like, w- would you say anything? Because the strategy I hear is you don't really want to contact them because then the blowback will fall on them. Yeah, that, that's true. And they, they've been um, inculcated from, from the time of their birth, really, that if you love your dad, mm-hmm. uh, that I, I, think, um, I think Cheryl Hope said the same thing. It, talking about her relationship with her father that if you love your dad then you'll act this way towards him hmm. it is almost an unspoken uh, thing that's put into children yeah and i, yeah. I believe i believe I saw, I saw the interview with cheryl which if she's watching this i just so admire her for the courage of being so open about what happened with her yeah and uh, I think she did say some of the effect of she carried on with things because she loved her dad. Yeah. And put up with terrible crap. Well, just, I I can't imagine. Otherworldly evil. Yeah. Just awful. The evil of it. And um, my my kids, I I don't hold a grudge against them at all. I would. They're victims. Huh? They're victims. Yeah. Correct. That's the exact word. They're they're victims, and they're they're bound up. And in my language, I say they're bound up by Satan. Yeah. Um, you can put your own spin on that. Oh, that would for me that would be uh, uh, you know uh, Rush Rush Limbaugh or something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't think of a <laughs> devil that you would know at the same time. So it was. Uh, um, so I chose that. I, I we're, we're definitely going to have you back. I hope one day you're, you get to be reunited with your other children, um, because, because obviously, um, you know, you love them to death, and uh, and I think you deserve to have your family back. So well, it was a pleasure you. getting to know you. Um, and I will give you a call and force you to give me those documents sometime in the next couple of days. <laughs> okay. No, I'll just charm you instead. Um, but we will talk. Um, and thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you soon. Okay. All right. Fine. It's been a, really a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Dennis. I, I appreciate that. Somewhere. Thank okay. you, man. Have a good weekend, sir. Yeah, thank you. Dennis Rag. Um, I love it when like uh podcasts start late because technology is an asshole. And then the interview reveals like a man who is like clearly a nice gentleman who just wants to be a dad to his grown-up kids. Like I did not expect that. I expected the interview to be cut short because of more tech issues. So um, big ups to ThinkPads and routers and whatever else that we're supposed to credit. Um, and yeah, I'm going to continue to cover Plymouth Brethren Christian Church stuff uh, over the next week. Uh, Carmen Drever is going to be a guest on Thursday, and her name is really significant if you're an actual member of the church because she's in the bloodline of one of the guys who, by the way, spoke directly to God. Like, right? Just that guy. And so that's next Thursday. Um, and I'll leave it there. Tonight, Rob Kaviklian is going to, he's a criminal defense attorney. He's going to join me for a first installment of a new show on Blackballed called Heinous Cases. And the first episode is going to be about Carla Hamalka. Um, and, but rather than rehash the brutal details of her crime, I'm sure we'll do that in a little bit. We are going to talk a lot about the deal that she was given by prosecutors, uh, which didn't have enough teeth. And then when new evidence came out after um, she was already given the deal, the government or the the, the prosecutor, they, they did have a, a pretty clear case where they could have killed the deal because the evidence showed that she lied about the extent of her involvement. And they didn't. Because as they put it at the time, they didn't want to dissuade future testimony by others. And that just seemed like a really ridiculous reason. And uh, in fact, Christy Blatchford in her last book before she passed away um, has a whole chapter on uh, on the Carl Hamalka case and, and why it was a travesty of justice. So tune in tonight at 7 for myself and Rob Kaviklian for that. 
And otherwise, thank you, everybody. Um, straight up, guys, in the comments, uh, I don't have my contacts in. And usually when I look over there, I either see one of two things, a reference to food or mad flower. So um, I just let you guys do your thing. And uh, But thank you, guys. You guys are basically the you, – you're my base. <laughs> you're my pro-life faction. Probably none of you are pro-life. Pro -life. So, uh, yeah, we'll see you tonight at 7, everybody, and thanks again. Black the podcast super friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers hi i'm Catherine o'brien from branch out programs in baton rouge louisiana I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.